In this podcast, we hear from Jo Silver, Director of Innovation at Safe Lives, as she sits down again with Louisa Rolfe, Deputy Chief Constable of West Midlands Police, to discuss what has changed a couple of months on from when lockdown started. Please note that government restrictions, social distancing and shielding guidance has changed since this podcast was recorded. However, it still offers an interesting look into the police response to COVID-19 and how they can help those who are concerned about a partner or family member's behaviour during this time. For most recent government guidance on COVID-19, go to www.gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Good afternoon, um, Louise. I just wanted to say a real thank you um, for doing the podcast with me again. It's five weeks since we did it um, last time, just going into the beginning of, of lockdown, and then we were wondering what it meant. So I just wanted to say, um, you know, from, from our perspective at Safe Lives, we're just really keen to hear how the police have been... Um, mobilising and if there's any changes uh, for you and uh, just a couple of questions um, from Safe Lives and the work that we've been doing with um, victims and survivors and also some um, specialist domestic abuse services around the country so is that all right? It is it's great thanks Joe. and it's it's really good to get this opportunity to talk to you again and hear about um, what the concerns of survivors and victims and families might be and how we can support people better. Um, but yes, I mean, if, if you want me to, I'll, I'll go through what it's been like for us so far. Yeah, it'd be great. Okay, so um, I think at the very beginning, we were really concerned when we saw the news from China and Italy that we might anticipate significant increase in domestic abuse. So we, we geared up really quickly to make sure that police forces were ready to deal with any increase. Um, what we found is actually we've not had an increase in reporting to police. So um, the number of incidents reported are about in line with the, the increase we've been seeing year on year. So um, the data we've got so far covers the first four weeks of lockdown, and it shows that reported incidents to police have gone up by 3%. Now, we expect domestic abuse um, and since 2014 has been going up more than 20% each year. So... So that, that's about in line with that. But um, but obviously that concerns us that people might not have the opportunity to report. And we're really aware that helplines um, and charities and services are getting a lot more calls. So, so we're really keen to understand why there's a difference and what we can do to really reassure people that for us, our approach hasn't changed. Um, if you're in immediate danger and you need the police, call 999. Um, if, if it's less urgent, but you still need the police to support you, then please um, look on our websites. Most of us have got live chat services, which are really popular, but also you can call 101 and we'll do everything we can to support you. Thank you. Uh, excellent. And I mean, there isn't any scientific or evidence base behind what I'm going to say now. It is kind of Joe's opinion, but I think the the calls to helplines and services um, within this period from people uh, getting advice, I feel it's probably just a human kind of response to lockdown. So if I try not to be an ex-police officer or try not to be a domestic abuse professional, 
by just being my, my normal self in a domestic abuse situation. I call the police normally um, because I have an idea of what the police are going to do. And normally that kind of crisis intervention, when things are out of control in the house, I want immediate help. But I also know that that probably means that in my mind that the police are going to come and they're going to stop the immediate crisis, which would be exactly what I wanted to do. But then everything that I see about the police is somebody going somewhere. And, you know, whether that's the kind of refuge that women will be offered a safe place or whether that's um, the alleged perpetrator um, being taken away from the household to go through a, um, a process to understand and investigate what's going on. And I just think as a very human thing, this is my family still, and outside feels a quite a scary place. So I, I can kind of un understand from a human level why I might not be phoning the police in that, in that situation um, and why I might be going to a helpline to just try and, to try and manage it. I haven't got any evidence to tell you that, but I also, you know, people, the general public see the bill and they see all of those police programmes. And rightly so, the police are coming in and they're actually doing something. There is an action. So I think in the current environment, perhaps we just need to think about other ways, um, really, because perhaps the traditional um, kind of experience of what people think the police are going to bring uh, just doesn't work when outside feels as scary, if not scarier, as uh, of inside. And I think that's quite difficult for us all to get our head around. Um, but I think it is it's worth just testing that with, with people, really. So we've done some surveys with um, families through kind of um, social media and and starting to make um, quite quick turnaround of analysis on um, specific areas. So what's coming through is victims are saying this is real kind of a big impact for their mental health. Um, a lot of that is to do with their normal coping strategies of work, school, other uh, friends outside the school gates, you know, those normal things that we take for granted that kind of give you outside opportunities aren't there. And um, one of the pioneers said, you know, it, it's not like walking on eggshells in lock, lockdown. It's more like walking on glass. And, and you, can, uh, you can imagine that because there's no outlet for anyone. Um, and, and just leading on to kind of what's coming from those surveys, we start to talk to victims and also perpetrators about how they might manage these kind of more intense situations at home and thinking from their perspective, you know, things are starting to heat up in the house. The um, abuse is, uh, you know, I know all the signs of this and what I want to do is get out. And whether I'm the abusive partner or the victim, I know probably the best thing at this point is to get outside. Um, I just wondered if you could kind of reassure people that if they went outside to, for their walk, uh, you know, to do whatever they're going to do outside um, to the local shop to kind of try and manage that situation at home, how would the police be responding to that? Because, in essence, that's breaking the rules. 
I think one of the great things about the police service in the UK is that discretion is at the heart of what we do. And our approach to the enforcement during lockdown has been to really focus on understanding. Um, so, you know, and, and to think about, you know, issuing tickets or penalties as an absolute last resort. So um, we've been really clear policing nationally. The Home Secretary also have really been very clear that if you are fleeing an abusive relationship and you need to leave your home to get away from abuse, you are not in breach the lockdown restrictions and and there will be no sanction and in fact quite the opposite the police will want to help you um if it's just a you know i need to call off i need to get away i need to get a breath of fresh air police officers will be understanding and they they might want to know whether you're in danger whether you're at risk if you return and what we can do to help you and whether an intervention is necessary or support from other agencies but but the last thing we'd be looking at doing is making a difficult situation worse by by looking for some kind of sanction thanks louisa so i think the thing to echo there is you know it's it's a difficult um topic it's a difficult conversation for people to say I am a victim of domestic abuse, but actually in those scenarios, I think we should all be encouraging um, people in this situation to say, I'm experiencing, you know, I'm going through quite a hard time at home and I'm experiencing abuse. I just needed to um, bring myself away from that for a bit. Is not, um, you know, is not going to be uh, minimised or rebuffed. It's going to be heard and then offered support but certainly not end up in a uh, any kind of um formal consequence um because obviously nobody would want to be sending anyone back to a environment that wasn't safe for them so that's that's really helpful um to hear and i thought um from the the specialist services uh, point of view um that we, call, we have a COVID call every um, every week. Uh, there was some kind of anxiety around uh, where young people are abusive to the adult uh, parents and where those young people, being young people anyway, um, a bit risk-taking, but are, are um, kind of breaching um, the regulations of, of lockdown and they are out and about. Um, I just wondered, uh, you know, how we could reassure um, those services and those parents what happens if their young people are out, are um, identified by the police as breaching, which they definitely are, and uh, as the last resort are being fined that fine ends up with the parents. Just wondering what kind of your um, advice would be in the, if you were in that situation. I, th I think I'm really sympathetic. I mean, it's, I think a few things to say there. So in policing and, and as a parent, I'm really conscious that this lockdown has a huge impact on young people. I can't begin to imagine how I might have dealt with it if I was a teenager and my social life, everything that was important to me was taken away and I had to spend my time 24-7 with my parents at home. Um, as lovely as my parents are, I, I, I think at that age I would have found that incredibly hard. So one, I think police officers are really alive to that. 
impact. I'm really alive to the fact that there's a generation there for whom the consequences of what happens now and how this affects our economy and employment and all of our situations, you know, there it, it will have a bigger impact for younger people. But in terms of parents, and if that parent is um, experiencing abuse from a an older child, um, from a child that, that is really difficult to cope with, it's incredibly important that we know this. Um, because there is support available, we can put people in touch with organisations who can offer support, help, advice. You know, it's a hugely difficult situation for a parent to find themselves in because, um, you know, the, the last thing they will want to do is to get their child in trouble. Um, but we must protect them if they are facing abuse. And we know that, thankfully, in very rare situations, this can be extreme. So, um, you know, from, I know the police have um, issued some sanctions to parents in extreme circumstances where we're talking about, um, you know, no efforts to to uh, inhibit young people from just going and doing as they please. Um, but that really is, you know, it's those cases are few and far between. And um, if a parent finds themselves in that situation and they really can't influence or control the behaviour of, of teenage children or they themselves are at risk from that child, they, I would urge them to let us know because we will be sympathetic, we will want to understand and we will want to support them um, and as I said at the beginning, you know, one of the great things about the British Police Service is discretion is so important to us. We we don't deal with things in a one-size-fits-all way. Um, and we've absolutely been encouraged by government, by the National Police Chiefs Council um, and all our partners who are working with us in dealing with this pandemic to deal with the enforcement approach around lockdown in a very... Uh, measured way to ensure that we are using discretion and that we are understanding why people are in certain situations or circumstances and responding with understanding and support and that enforcement is really a last resort. Uh, I think again it's kind of us reassuring people that if they share their individual situations with police, police will take all of that information and always look to try and make things as safe as possible for people and not, you know, persecute people that are already in extremely difficult um, positions. So that, that's brilliant. Um, I've, I've just got um, kind of one more uh, question, really, that's come up about some couples before lockdown where they might have been living apart have... have might have used that opportunity, decided it was nice to live apart, but others might have thought, actually, perhaps we're locked down together. Um, if you were in that situation and then you were living with your partner and they started to behave in a way that started to worry you in this lockdown situation, is there still opportunity for um, people to speak to the police about the right to ask for information and, and how would that work? Yes, during um, the um, approach to the pandemic, forces have assured me that they are still making the domestic violence disclosure scheme, also known as Claire's Law, um, available to survivors and victims of abuse and, or anybody who is concerned about the history of their partner and concerned that they might present a risk to them. Now, um, 
most forces have information about this available on their websites or you can call 101 and speak to a police call handler to ask for a disclosure to be made. They'll take all the necessary information. There is a process that we go through because as you'll appreciate, um, this could be quite sensitive information. Um, sometimes people might ask and we might not have a record. Sometimes we might. There is a process to go through that where police forces will um, by some strict criteria to understanding the situation and, and making an appropriate disclosure, which would be in the interest of, of maintaining um, people's safety and, and balancing that with people's personal rights around their data. Now, um, what I would say to anybody who has any concerns, um, I would also say it's always worth reaching out and seeking help because um, we all know that that somebody having a criminal conviction or not is not a fail-safe way of knowing whether they're an abuser. I mean, it, it is one of the, the tools that we use to help people understand the situation they're in and keep themselves safe, but it's not a fail-safe. You know, the absence of a criminal record does not give you a watertight guarantee. And if you have concerns about someone's behaviour, I'd say trust your instincts. Um, you know, if, if you're unable to contact police and ask for help, then please you know, reach out to the domestic abuse charities um, if you can't do that when you're at home. Um, we've been working with all the retailers nationally to ensure that there's information um, available when you go to supermarkets. Most forces have put posters up with the support of supermarkets and pharmacies, um, you know, or go into your local pharmacy. And, um, and even if, you know, if your partner doesn't allow you to go out on your own and they insist on going with you, ask for a private consultation with the pharmacist most pharmacies are absolutely geared to understand that means that you need the ability to speak in private and you need some help. Um, or, you know, if you find yourself in a really difficult situation, call 999. Um, and if you can't speak because you think it will make things worse, then tap the handset when the operator answers. Um, and when they ask you which service you require, press number five twice, so five five and they will know it's a 999 emergency for police and we will send someone um, and deal with it as a, a an emergency. So um, I think, you know, just to reassure you, our approach to the domestic violence disclosure scheme is, is running as usual. I mean, one of, one of the things we've noticed during um, pandemic is that uh, a lot of other crime has actually reduced. So things that, and, and this is not unexpected, you know, we crime that might be associated with pubs and clubs is not happening at the moment because they're not open. Um, you know, we're not dealing with volumes of shoplifting and theft from shops and stores because there aren't many shops and stores open. Um, things like burglary are not happening because most people are at home in their home. That is actually giving us a bit more time at the moment. So to focus on things like domestic abuse and ensuring that our investigators responding to domestic abuse have the support they need. So, so actually, um, what I've found in speaking to forces across the UK is that we're handling requests for things like domestic violence disclosure quicker. We're applying for DVPOs, the domestic violence protection orders with magistrate courts really quickly. And um, I know now that across the UK, all forces are able to progress applications for domestic violence protection orders very quickly with local magistrates. Some of those are happening on video using things like Skype to get that done quickly. I just would echo, you know, uh, whatever end of the scale your relationship is, whether it's that niggly thing that starts talking to you that says something's not right here or the other end of the 
um, scale where you feel like ringing 999 is the is the right thing to do, I just would um, support you saying just hear that instinct, just listen to it and do it. Because if you're at the beginning of a relationship and you've got a niggling doubt about somebody's behaviour, you've probably got a doubt about their behaviour and you haven't got to wait for that to be anything more specific before you ring a helpline and start talking about that or access some information online. You know, that is the, that's the time to start trying to work those things through. Um, so that's brilliant. I just wanted to end and give you an opportunity, Teresa, to say, you know, what else, what else are the police doing whilst we are... Um, in this uh, situation, thinking about your resources and your staff. So I can certainly talk about what my own force is doing and a little bit about what we're doing nationally. So, you know, we've been really conscious of the impact of COVID-19 on our on our workforce. So at the beginning, we were, one, we were looking at all the modelling to try and understand, you know, what, what's that likely to mean for us, you know, um, there were lots of things on the news about infection rates and and I think at very early stages discussion about we might, you know, it might be that up to 20% or a fifth of our workforce might not be available to us. So obviously those are when you work in a 24-7 organisation that needs to be there to respond to people whose lives might be in danger or emergencies, then, then you have to think very hard about how you maintain that with less people. So we did lots of work initially to look at what that might mean, but also very quickly looking at how do we ensure that, you know, we will have people in our workforce who fit into the shielded category. So ensuring that we support people. Um, some of the things I think we've done that we've really learned from, it's been amazing how quickly we've been able to equip a large portion of our workforce with technology enable them to work from home. Some of the things that we thought might take us six months to achieve, we've done in a matter of weeks in terms of equipping people and setting up new ways of working, you know, working with um, the court service. Our custody teams have very quickly got remand hearings up and running with people with a live link from our custody unit. So people who've been arrested and have committed serious crimes that warrant a remand in custody application, that's now heard by the courts through a downlinked video to our custody team. So there's lots of things happening there. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of our staff, health, well-being and welfare, because, you know, all of us have felt anxiety about um, COVID-19, whether we ourselves will be at risk of infection, whether our families and those we love and care about what that might mean for us you know that um the new just just watching the news um itself can be quite scary so we've done a huge amount to ensure that we've provided information we've made accessible our own internal sort of well-being resources um to our staff um, we've been doing things like podcasts as well from people to um ensure that you know some top tips about home working and that's not just about how you how you start your business but it's also about how you look after your well-being and how you ensure you have breaks so we've been doing a lot um this week the government shared their latest um home office campaign about domestic abuse and it was tips for employers and um really pleased to say today that um i've had news back from our procurement team that we've actually shared that with every organization we work with as a police force so um, and um, we've been you know, working with our Police and Crime Commissioner as well to make sure that all the partner agencies we work with, so that we've provided advice and support to not just our own organisation, but, but all of those that we might 
you know, have some services supplied by or work with to ensure that they're looking out for their employees as well. Um, and I think we've also, with our managers, been really clear that it's very important people keep in touch. So, um, and I think one of the, my boss described uh, the role to our sort of senior leaders and middle managers in the organisation at a very early stage when we were looking at have we got the right kit and equipment for police officers, the PPE they need to do their job? Have we ensured that we've spaced desks and IT and kit appropriately across our control rooms? And, you know, there are there are bits of policing that have had to carry on as normal. You know, the people that answer our phones 24-7, the officers that respond to emergencies, our custody teams. We've set up specific custody units um, that can respond to uh, people arrested who, who are exhibiting symptoms or say they have COVID-19. And we've worked with our healthcare providers to ensure that there's a proper health triage when they arrive um, and to see if they're fit to be dealt with and detained by us, but also to make sure that we um, appropriately respond because we, we do still need to arrest people. Um, and. and and we've then ensured, and of course, I think some of the most challenging jobs our staff have done have been working with people like the coroner um, to deal with deaths in the community and ensure that you know, because policing has a role in dealing with any sudden or unexpected death. Um, and we need to make sure that not only do our officers have the right guidance and equipment, but that we're really conscious that some of those officers are going to be exposed to more trauma than their colleagues and how we wrap the right support around them and be mindful of the impact that has on them both immediately but in the longer term. So there's been a lot of work going on to, to respond to all of this. Um, and, and we are thinking about, you know, the impact, you know, it, for me in my national role in terms of domestic abuse, I've also thought about, you know, policing employs people. 90% um, of our budget in policing is spent on people uh, and we're a very people-focused organisation. Um, so we need to look after the people that work for us, but also be conscious that the things that affect the outside world will also affect our own people too. So ensuring that we've got a, um, a really good approach to recognising domestic abuse um, in our workforce and supporting victims who work for us but also dealing appropriately with perpetrators who might work for us. And, and these things can be really hard, but it's really important that we think about it and respond to it. Thank you, Louise. And I just, as I was listening to you, was reflecting back five weeks ago, and I felt like not just me and you, but the whole world was looking at the tsunami that we thought was coming and how on earth would our huge mechanisms and machines and processes cope with it and some haven't coped very well but I just think it's a real credit that the police and other organisations have kind of thought what's the most important thing that we need to start doing now and we have you know as a multi-agency response worked at a speed that none of us are used to working but it's happened you know we are in a position where we are virtual courts and um, custody suites tooled up for people with COVID. And we've also got all of this kind of government backing now around domestic abuse. So I just feel like, yes, we're, we're not at the end of it, out the other end of it by any means. And hopefully we'll get together in five weeks going forward. But I feel that the tsunami we thought that we wouldn't would be, you know, bowled over by, it, it just isn't real we have adapted very very swiftly 
to meet the the challenges and they're scary it's scary times not minimizing that at all for anyone and I just wanted to end up saying I just think the value of you saying you know we call it know them and us so you know where you employ huge amounts of people those people are people whether you've got a nurse's uniform on a or a police uniform on it doesn't matter you know there is no them and us covid's real to everyone domestic abuse is real to everyone and and being a specific professional doesn't make you immune to any of those things so i think that's a really good uh, place to end on and hopefully we can get back together in five weeks and see where we are that would be great thanks joe thanks so much Thank you very much, Louisa. I'll speak to you soon.